parable of the unforgiving debtor. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, from the New Living Translation. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Good morning, my name's Jean and it is my privilege this morning to continue our series looking at the parables of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. This morning's parable is known as the parable of the unforgiving debtor and is essentially a parable about forgiveness. Let's just start by unpacking the passage that we have just heard a little bit. The context of the parable, the reason that Jesus has used it, is in response to a question from one of his apostles, Peter, who asks, how often do I need to forgive someone who's wronged me? Peter comes up with a suggestion for this. He suggests seven. Will seven do? At that point in time, in that day, the rabbis, the Jewish teachers, were teaching something like forgiveness three times over. So maybe Peter thinks he's going to impress Jesus by going more than double. But then I can only imagine how astounded he would be at Jesus's actual response. Jesus says no, seven's not enough. Now in your Bible it may say 70 times seven, or it may say 77 times. Either way, Jesus is indicating an infinite number. It's possible that 
he said 77 in response to a declaration in the very beginning in the first book of the bible genesis a declaration where someone declares that they will have vengeance 77 times and jesus is addressing an audience that would know that passage so maybe he's saying remember that passage in genesis about vengeance 77 times over well i cancel that out i say 77 times I say an infinite number. Or maybe he's using maths to blow their minds. 70 times 7, 490 times. I mean, if we stop for a second to think about it, if you're counting how many times you have offered forgiveness, have you even really forgiven in the first place? In essence, Jesus is saying forgiveness is limitless. And then he uses this parable, a fictional story, to highlight some crucial things that are important in our understanding of what it really means to be a part of the kingdom of God and how fundamental forgiveness is to that. He uses the illustration of a king settling his accounts, fair enough. He's well within his rights to do that. And that's just good money management, surely. He calls in a servant who owes him this figure, 10,000 talents. Now, we need to get a little bit more information about that because we don't have that currency here today. So it doesn't really mean much to us. And different translators have attempted to translate it in various ways to help us understand it. Pretty much one talent would have been the equivalent somewhere in the region of 15 years wages, maybe a bit more, depending on whether the talent was made from gold or silver. So one talent is about 15 years of wages, times that by 10,000. Whatever salary you may or may not be on, that sum is enormous. That is an insurmountable de debt that this servant has no way of repaying, not even over several lifetimes, not even if he passed it on to his great, great, great grandchildren. We're talking about billions of pounds. And Jesus is deliberately using this illustration. He has deliberately chosen a figure that is completely and utterly unrepayable and insurmountable. And then, in an extravagant and extraordinary move, the king is moved with compassion. And instead of demanding what was well within his rights, that the, the debtor was sold with his wife and children, which was the legal process in that day and time, in that context, he takes pity on him. He doesn't ask for part payment. He doesn't set up a, a prepayment plan of instalments. He doesn't demand that he pays 10% every month. He cancels the debt and releases him. The man is free of debt. Now this is crucial for us to understand what Jesus is talking about here when he's referring to forgiveness. Jesus is referring to a cancellation of debt. He is using the illustration of finances 
something quite familiar to the listeners to illustrate the enormity of the cancellation of debt that we owe our Heavenly Father. So the man walks off free and presumably very happy about it. But then we move on to what happened next. In the next part of the story, we see that the debtor who was forgiven, whose debt was cancelled, then meets a fellow servant who owes him money. This time, a much smaller amount, a much, much smaller amount, 100 denarii. Well, that's about 100 days wages. So a large amount, but not an insurmountable amount. The servant reacts with real aggression, extraordinary aggression. He grabs the man who owes him just a hundred denarii by the throat, demands payment, shows nothing of what was offered to him. No compassion, no mercy, no forgiveness. And instead throws his fellow servant into jail, which is not a place that you can easily then earn money to pay off a debt. He basically imprisoned him and made it impossible for him to repay the debt. And when I read this story and I see then the king's response of then going to that unmerciful servant and saying, shouldn't you have had mercy just as I had mercy? Shouldn't you have cancelled his debt just as I cancelled yours? I think, yeah, too right. And then when he sends him to prison, I think, yes, that is justice. Justice is served. And I'm pretty okay with that. But then when I put myself into the story and I read what Jesus next says, it starts to become a little bit more uncomfortable a lot more uncomfortable, if I'm honest, and a lot more challenging. Jesus says, that's what my Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters in your heart. C.S. Lewis writes, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And if I'm honest, I've never found forgiveness easy. I'm not sure if anyone really does. Sometimes it's the little things that should be inconsequential that I hold on to. And other times it's much bigger things, much more serious things. What I wanna make clear at this point in the passage is that we shouldn't ever read any of the Bible in isolation on its own. It is a book like no other that is designed to be read in its entirety. So we interpret what we read in one place in the Bible through the lens of what we know from elsewhere in the Bible. And what is clear to me is that when Jesus is talking here about our Heavenly Father, not forgiving us if we don't forgive others. He's not referring to that initial act of forgiveness when we invite Jesus into our lives, when we enter into 
union with Christ and become followers of him. He is not talking about that forgiveness which secures our eternal destiny. He is talking about the day-to-day -day forgiveness and how that impacts our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. We know that, don't we? Things happen all the time and we have to repeat the process. When we become a Christian, there is that initial transformation, but then there is ongoing transformation as we strive to live every day with him at the centre. Forgiveness and learning the art of forgiveness is central to that transformation. And I just want us to consider a few things as we unpack forgiveness a little bit further. Some things that I have found helpful as I've prepared for this. And one of those is how easily we can misunderstand forgiveness. A misunderstanding of forgiveness can be a real stumbling block and can even be harmful to us. And it's easy for different things to creep into our thought processes and confuse us about what forgiveness actually is and what Jesus is actually commanding us to do. But before we talk about what forgiveness is or isn't, I think it's also important to recognise the importance of forgiveness. Jesus talks about it a lot and he makes no bones about it. Forgiveness is essential. It's not easy, but it's essential. Unforgiveness breeds bitterness, resentment and hatred. It's toxic to us. It's toxic to our relationships. In particular, it's toxic to our relationship with God. Jesus says, I have come to bring life and life to the full. If we are to take hold of that, we need to take hold of forgiveness. Forgiveness is for the sake of our own well-being and our relationship with Jesus. Health researchers and psychologists are increasingly recognising the benefits of forgiveness, not only on an emotional level, not only on a mental level, but also on a physical level, that our body physically benefits from forgiveness. Nelson Mandela, who was imprisoned for nearly three decades because he was fighting for human rights, he talked about bitterness and resentment being like drinking poison and then hoping that it will kill your enemies. Forgiveness is not for the benefit of others, but it is the benefit for us and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Nelson Mandela also said, when he was freed from his prison, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. 
Jesus talks so severely about forgiveness and unforgiveness because unforgiveness imprisons us and he's about bringing life and life to the full and freeing us. Let's move on to considering a little bit more about what constitutes forgiveness. There are some really unhelpful phrases that are thrown around about forgiveness and that easily lead us to a misunderstanding of forgiveness and a misunderstanding of forgiveness not only stops us from forgiving appropriately but it can also change us and actually create more bitterness in us and perhaps even lead us down a path of either manipulation or becoming a doormat. Let's just explore then what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation involves at least two people. Forgiveness involves one person in supernatural par partnership with our Heavenly Father. Reconciliation may also often be a very unwise move or inappropriate or even impossible. Sometimes the person we need to forgive isn't any longer here. Maybe they've passed away. Sometimes the person and the offence that we need to forgive is unsafe because maybe it was at the hands of an abuser. Reconciliation often involves some kind of apology and certainly remorse. But forgiveness isn't based on whether the other person is remorseful. Forgiveness is not being a doormat. It's not going back for more. When we offer forgiveness, we don't then we don't then go back and say, you can do it again. That's not the same thing. It doesn't let someone off the hook. It doesn't mean that we have to trust someone again. What we're doing is trusting in God to deal with that person, to deal with that offence, whether real or perceived. We're saying you don't owe me. We're cancelling that debt and handing it over to God. One of the most unhelpful phrases I think that comes to mind about forgiveness is forgive and forget. Unhelpful and arguably impossible. Um, perhaps we tie ourselves in knots thinking that we haven't forgiven someone because we can't possibly forgotten what has happened. Forgiveness doesn't erase the past. Forgiveness doesn't mean we forget what has happened. But forgiveness means we remember the past differently 
we remember the past through the lens of grace. Lewis Schmieds, who has written extensively on the topic of forgiveness, writes, forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. And finally, forgiveness is not a feeling, but it's an act of the will. The Bible often talks about the heart and it's there in this passage to forgive someone from your heart. In this day and age, we associate our heart with our emotions and our feelings. But actually, back then, to the listeners, to the audience, the heart was considered to be the essence of who you are, the core of your being, both physical, physically, mentally, spiritually and emotionally. The heart was the place you made your decisions, where you made your plans. The passage also talks about refusing to forgive. Refusal is a decision. It's an act of the will. Again, not a feeling. It doesn't say that if we are struggling to forgive, then we won't be forgiven. Well, surely struggling indicates that we are entering into that process, that we are engaging with forgiveness, that we have decided that we want to forgive, we're just finding it hard. And the opposite of that, if we have decided, if we are refusing to forgive, we're not saying that that person isn't worthy of our forgiveness. Remember the parable. The king forgave an insurmountable debt, a debt that the servant couldn't ever possibly repay. Isn't that also what Jesus has done for us, freely given, a debt that we could never ever repay, cancelled, freely given, not earned? Are we rewriting the gospel by refusing to forgive. One of my faith heroes is a lady called Corrie Ten Boom, a Dutch lady. Her and her family uh, rescued many Jews during the Second World War. They hid them and kept them safe. And when they were found out, they were initially jailed in Holland and later sent to different concentration camps in Germany. Corrie and her sister Betsy ended up in a concentration camp in Germany called Ravensbrück, the most notorious female concentration camp. And there they endured uh, so much and her sister died there. Corrie was already in her 50s, both her and her sister were already in their 50s when they were sent there. And several years after the war had ended and after Corrie had been released, um, she was speaking on this very topic of forgiveness. She made it her life's work to travel the world and share the love of Jesus. And central to her message was always forgiveness. 
At one point, she describes speaking on forgiveness and stepping down from the pulpit and seeing a man approach her. She quickly realised that the man walking towards her was one of the concentration camp guards. In fact, one of the cruelest guards. And he was right there in front of her, walking towards her. He came straight up to her, explained that he had become a Christian, that he had accepted that his sins were forgiven, that they had been thrown into the ocean. But he also wanted to hear that he had her forgiveness. And he stretched out her, his hand towards her. This is what Corrie says in that moment. I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Even so, I realised it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the love of God floods our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to us. Forgiveness is essential. It's the beginning of healing. And it's a decision that we make. But the process, more often than not, is very complicated and at times very painful and is very nuanced according to who we are, what has happened, who else is involved. The process of forgiveness is far too nuanced and complicated for us to go through what it might look like. It's going to be different in every situation for every person. Every individual is faced with a different challenge in this area. But I'd like us just to finish now by just considering how we might let the process begin. Again, revisiting that parable, what we see at the start is an extravagant outpouring of mercy, of forgiveness. So I'd like to suggest that in order to let the process begin, that we start by centering ourselves on what God has lavished on us extravagant love, mercy, extravagant forgiveness. It's from this place 
where we've experienced his love, that we have our basis and motivation to forgive others. That has to be our starting point. And then in order to let the process begin, we need to go to God with the unforgiveness. The Bible says that every time we pray, every time we come to God, we need to forgive others. It's a continual process. Corrie Ten Boom, who I just read, read about, talks about waking up each morning feeling bitter about something else and going back to God and going back to God and going back to God. We centre ourselves on him, who he is and what he has done for us, completely undeserving. And then we bring unforgiveness to him. We talk to him about it. We talk to him about the challenges we face with unforgiveness. And then the really magnificent thing is that he doesn't say, off you go, do it alone, in your strength, in your power. Absolutely not. The God of the universe promises that we never go it alone. The God of the universe promises that we do not need to do this in our strength, but in his perfect strength. The God of the universe doesn't ask us to do anything that's impossible. In fact, he says, all things are possible if we do them through him, with him. If we give up our own strength, we give up our, our own wishes for that person, we hand them over to him, we trust him with them, and he does the rest. I don't know about you, but just unpacking forgiveness more has stirred up all sorts in me. Some of it uncomfortable, much of it challenging, but it's also stirred up healing and hope. If you're listening today and you think I could do with some of that healing and some of that hope, then I'd just like to encourage you that Jesus is a safe place to do that. Jesus is the best place to do that and it's only in partnership with him that we can truly forgive other people. It's only because of what he has first done that we can forgive others. I'd just like to pray for us now as we close this part of our time together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the extravagant love that you have lavished on us. I thank you so much that there is nothing that I can do to earn your love, to earn your forgiveness. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that our eternal destiny is secure in you. I also want to thank you, Lord God, that each and every day you are with us, that you are working in us and through us, transforming us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, now that you would open our eyes to 
anything we are holding against someone else, any unforgiveness that we are holding onto that is bringing a toxic element to our relationship that is stopping us from walking as closely with you as we should. I pray that you would reveal that to us and guide us through it step by step, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you restore hope and that you heal. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that nothing is impossible with you. Just bring that, bring that knowledge into our hearts afresh. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.